Welcome to Live the Fuel. Welcome to Live Welcome the Fuel. To Live the Fuel. Focusing on health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another Live the Fuel show. So today we are recording with a new co-host for you. And uh, this gentleman, I always joke around on this show about how we uh, we get crazy connections in life. You never know where networking will take you virtually or in person. Uh, this one, we can actually thank the virtual world. Uh, this gentleman actually ended up reaching out to me over Facebook. I've, I've been getting more and more Facebook combos uh, happening these days. And this gentleman kind of came across me because of another podcast known as the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast. And we'll dig into a little bit about that because I think it's important that people understand how circles overlap in life. Uh, but this gentleman joining us today, he's a Fortune 500 personal development consultant, board member, startup advisor, uh, official member of the Forbes Coaches Council and Forbes Contributor. So I definitely want to dig more into that because I didn't even know they had a Coaches Council. Um, <laughs> he's a regular guest on top podcasts such as Entrepreneur on Fire, John Lee Dumas, um, as, as Told by Nomads, and Conscious Millionaire and the Blind Entrepreneur, as I just hinted at. He's also been published or featured on Inc., Fast Company, Time, Mashable, PBS, BBC, and numerous top blogs, guys. So you know, I, let's not hint here. Yeah, he's been out there. He's also gotten on radio and TV. Uh, but you know what? Without further ado, let's get him on the show here as your latest uh, podcast co-host, Yuri Kruman, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Scott. Really great to be with you. Yeah, so um, I'll go ahead and short circuit this right to the fast little uh, electrification here. But uh, you're kind of a hustler. You're getting out there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have no choice, brother, you know? I um, like it. <laughs> so have you been on EO Fire more than once? No, I just uh, had my episode come out, I think, last week. Awesome. The 18th, yeah. Well, you're ahead of me because I've been podcasting for over a year, and I've just been too busy to get around to going through mm -hmm. John Lee Dumas's application process. So um, I'll take that as an opportunity for myself. <laughs> I think you're just a bigger hustler because you actually run the podcast. Maybe. <laughs> I don't guessing. know. I mean, he and I, he and I got a photo together out at, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Thrive Make Money Matter event. Yep. Yep. So I've been out there for the past two years, and, and he was there again this year, and um, I, cool. I, I had a... Uh, I had stickers designed for my co-host or just whatever. So I, I gave him a sticker at the event and he pops on a shirt. We did a selfie together and all that stuff. So Excellent. <laughs> we were having some fun. Grab what you can. <laughs> exactly. So mm -hmm. so you got connected with me because of, is it, it's a uh, Grzybowski, right? Is that how you say his name? I think so. I'm not a Polish uh, <laughs> scholar being Russian, but uh, yeah, Jonathan Grzybowski, I think. Oh, come on, man. You, you got to have me beat on the pronunciations. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I'm just a... Uh, ignorant American here when it comes to that exotic of a spelling. I mean, G-R-Z-Y-B-O-W-S-K-I. But anyway, long story short, he runs the Blind Entrepreneur Podcast. How did yep. you and he get connected? I'm trying to remember. I think I actually probably found him also on Facebook in a group, and I just cold emailed him. I said, man, I love, I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. How about it? There you go. Tell my story. That's yeah. how it's done. And mm -hmm. it literally is to our listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, let's be real. I mean, so many of us are worried about, how, you know, someone's saying no. It's mm -hmm. like classic sales and marketing, like a sales process. I was coaching a, a, one of my clients' uh, sales team, and they were like, oh, man, you know, I just, well, how do you address people saying no? And I was like, well, no just means not right now. I mean, it just depends on where you're at in the timeline, right? So exactly. what, what mm -hmm. if, what if uh, John would have said no? You could have just followed up. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what I do, right? When when you learn how to do sales, you're not only learning persistence, you're also learning a system, right? You, you know that of 100 people that you call, you might hear back from, you know, 10 maybe, and you might have conversations with five and sell to two, you know, like or so, some other balance depending on what you're selling and, you know, what that industry looks like. But, you know, the numbers are numbers. You're just learning, you're getting better, and it's not failure, it's iteration. I like that. It's not failure, it's iteration. That's going to be a little quote. We'll have to tag that in the blog content. Um, well, so I, I'm, I brought up your site here. And for our listeners, because I like to make sure I get people's brand out there early in the show and then towards the end. But you've got a site called masterthetalk.com. And real quick to our listeners, if you hear any background noise, this guy's uh, dialing in live with us from New York City, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. I love I love the city, man. Sirens. <laughs> it truly is the city that never sleeps. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Um, I've, I've had on numerous people. I don't know if you if you heard of Teo Roxon. Well, yeah, that's I've been on uh, as told by nomads. So oh, oh, that's Teo right. There we well. go. Yeah. So, uh, so Te- Teo's been on the show. He and I spoke at the same. Oh, actually, hold on. Let's see. Oh man, he did. I did not speak last year at a, at a podcasting conference, but he spoke last year, um, and then I spoke mm-hmm. at the same conference again this year. So he and I had that connection. But I've had him on my show as well. So he's yeah, uh, he's a good guy, him. man. He's he's getting mm-hmm. after it. Definitely. But your master of the talk. Uh, Clearly, you care a lot about communication. You use the keyword there, talk. Uh, mm-hmm. What made you create this brand, man? Like, where'd that come from? Well, I'll tell you. So to give you some background, I'm in my fifth career. Okay. I started out in neuroscience, went to law, went to finance, then uh, tech, startups. And then eventually I did my own thing, coaching and consulting, which is what Master the Talk is. You said neuroscience? Yep. started out as a neurotic scientist. And, um, and, and where did that take your mindset? I guess uh, that's early in the career, right? That was like when you first got get going out of school or? Yeah, yeah. I studied neuroscience in college and then I came to New York to do a PhD in uh, neuroscience at NYU. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in that first year, I pretty quickly realized that I'm not really <laughs> PhD material because I was starting my first company there. Um, you're going to love this one. It was called juicyjuice.com. <laughs> juicyjuice.com All juicy right. juice j-e-w-s oh okay you went there <laughs> yes yes i have the t-shirts to prove it um it was a the first jewish social network i like you know, it um, was based on uh the first uh facebook global group that i created which had something like 14 Do you still own kids. that domain no jdate owns that domain i kind of let it go after you know a giant spike in traffic and you know because it kind of fizzled out but okay I, I love doing my own thing i just you know instead of calling it a failure i obviously have iterated quite a bit since then and <laughs> here we are you know i like it that's uh you know what it's it's funny because like clearly i know i know doom has probably definitely dug into some of that because he does it on eo fire he loves to tell some yeah. of people's uh little track record their background mm-hmm. but um well, real quick, and you said you realized you weren't PhD material. Mm-hmm. Was that because of the curriculum and workload, or was it just that you were, you were already losing passion for the content? Like, what kind of flipped that switch in your head? Well, imagine you're in a program where, I mean, yeah, you're learning a number of subjects. Let's say molecular neuroscience, cellular, et cetera. So, multiple different levels of you know how the brain works on a systems level, organ level, tissue level, cellular level, and molecular okay and at some point you have to choose a topic and you have to really drill down on that topic for years and years and years right so just 
imagine if you're someone who loves to have, you know, his finger in 10 soups, which is kind of who I am. I love cooking also, you know, maybe that's, that's why the image, you know, but essentially because I'm someone who connects different disciplines, I connect people. I always try to find things that should be talking to each other, but are not currently in a scientific field. That's not what you're there to do per se. That's not really rewarded. You don't get grants for that. That's, I would know because my mom is someone who's very creative, who's been in science for 30 plus years. So are you saying that it's kind of like, I don't know, the right term here. Was it, was it too robotic or too systematic or? It was just a bad fit. My personality is not attuned to sitting in a lab 24 seven and working on a very narrow question for years. That's just not who I am. I've never seen the world that way. And you know, I, I did it because my mom is a professor of neuroscience and, you know, sometimes well, so you to please her mom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she's been a professor here and we immigrated in, in 92. Okay. Also in NYU or? No. Um, she's worked in the University of Kentucky at uh, National Institute on Aging, um, you know, wow. place in, uh, she's, we've lived all over the country. <laughs> the, I like to joke that we're more American than most Americans. I would agree with you on places. that. I've, uh, I've driven coast to coast probably five times in my life already. Uh, and wow. And that just that experience, I recommend that to anybody. I was like, listen, just drive coast to coast. Like, just get get out yeah. there and see this country because it's so massive. Mm-hmm. Um, before you maybe add a little more wall culture in, because we're so diverse in this country. Oh yeah, much more yeah. than people realize. Yeah, it's not just time zones, people. Okay, like mm-hmm. when you when you do change time zones, you also literally experience these little uh, uh, mini cultures of the U.S. throughout the journey. It's it's a great experience. I'll just say that. Yep. And part of the reason why, one of the other things that I've done is I've published two novels. Part of it is because I've lived in so many different places and dealt with so many uh, different kinds of people and been in different industries and all of that. So wow. it's not it's not just a New York thing. You know, although New York makes you want to write, otherwise you go nuts. Now, do you have those journals case, listed? Like, um, do you have your journals listed on your LinkedIn profile and stuff like that? Or how do you have the journals out there? Uh, well, you mean uh, the two novels? Yeah, the novels. Um, yeah, so you can find them on Amazon. Just you know, oh. search for my name in there. Okay. See them. You didn't you didn't hook me up with that in the uh, in the onboarding content. So I just want to make sure we're giving you the, the you know I, I'm a marketer. I can't help it. I got to help you get some exposure out there. So if there's stuff it's all out about there, focus exactly. <laughs> focus <but> the message. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get that content though in, embedded into your blog content because obviously I've got, I've got your Facebook and your LinkedIn and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure we're actually putting those projects that you've succeeded with out there as well. So if people were drawn to this episode, they can find the book content too. Um, Thank you. By the way, did you know you can actually link them as projects in your LinkedIn profile? I have, I have done that. Um, I find that people don't really scroll down that far for the most part. I see. (laughs) Attention spend issues. I mean, perfect example is uh, to our, to our listeners uh, on the video feed, I currently have his LinkedIn profile up right now. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I I like your tagline there, the millennial transformation strategist. So Mm -hmm. Uh, again, since I'm a marketing guy, I can't help it. Uh, why that tagline? Well, because, you know, um, I do partly transformation on the career side, partly transformation on the business side. And I myself have had to transform a number, you know, a number of times just based on life circumstances, being an immigrant, living in different states, changing careers, figuring out who am I in terms of identity. So for me, transformation is very much a way of life. Okay. So when you refer to transformation as a way of life, 
I, I joke around with people because I, I, I use the word transformation a lot too, but I tell people also, it's like, okay, well, let's think about it this way. Like there's a classic tagline I've used that I learned from a great mentor. It's like, okay, well, if you choose not to embrace change, you mm-hmm. will fail. That's, yep. uh, he, he said it as simple as I, I could have ever put it. I was like, really? And I, he just says like, listen, he's like, either embrace a change or you're failing. It's, there's no mm-hmm. other way around it. He said, it's been proven time and time again over the decades, over the centuries, is that the only way mankind can grow and continue to achieve new new successes and achievements in life and in our generation mm-hmm. is you have to keep making mistakes, you have to keep embracing the change, and you have to keep growing. And Exactly. I mean, how, how would you dig into that since you're obviously using the keyword there, transformation, and we're referring to lifestyle with something we talk a lot about on this show? Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at it this way. Sometimes um, I would say in my case, the transformation was thrust upon me in a way, right? Because when you you change uh, where you live in terms of countries, you go from a place like Moscow to Kentucky, which is where I grew up. You know, you got to adapt. You got to learn a little bit about, you know, basketball and wildcats and, you know, you got to bleed blue. Otherwise, who the hell are you? They do love the basketball. Exactly. And then, you know, when you're you're going uh, through school, start out in fifth grade and my case, I was about you know 18 months younger than all the other kids, so you know physically smaller and, and trying to understand, you know, how do I fit into this place where I, I just arrived? You know, I have to learn English better, and you know, not just hang out with the immigrant kids because you know, that's the whole point, right? Sure. <laughs> so you know, with that comes a whole understanding of really two pillars that have underwritten my entire life, which is language and psychology, and uh, that's really the core of what I do for people. I help them to transform themselves using language and using psychology. Well, I'm a big fan of psychology because I studied it. So, mm-hmm. And I also realized real fast that love the subject while I was studying marketing. I was actually dual majoring. And then uh, as an adult student, I'd gone, I'd originally gone to school for engineering. And then uh-huh. year, years later, went back as an adult student to do marketing and psychology. And then realized, wait a minute, I am not committing to a PhD program because in this, you, you could probably back this up. In the psychological <laughs> world, in the psychology world, unless you plan going PhD, what's the point? I mean, yeah, I ended up finishing with a minor because mm-hmm. my own counselor or guidance person said, Scott, she's like, you've already got a resume. You've already been out there. You're doing this to fill in a BS on, on the checklist. You mm-hmm. already got it with the marketing. She's like, you can keep going another couple semesters and, and get the dual major, but she's like, do you care? And I was like, after sitting down and having that conversation, I was like, eh, no. <laughs> I was like, I, I've learned a lot from the psychology. I really did love those classes. Actually, uh-huh. I, it was funny. I kept, I was acing those courses. Like, I was really clicking with them, man. And I tell people this all the time. And I, I can't wait to hear your answer on this. Mm-hmm. Business, entrepreneurship, whatever segment you want to tap into. Love marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not think that I'd end up going back into it uh, as an entrepreneur, but everything I do today was not learned in school. <laughs> I'll just say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the psychology, I mm-hmm. still credit that. I still say, you know what? If I had to think about what I took away from college, yeah, I proved that I can commit to a curriculum and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But really the real-time hustle and the lessons learned now are from making mistakes, growing and studying in the real-time world, not in college. But the yep. psychology is the one thing that I still take away from from those courses. I do love what I learned from that, and I am still using that to this day. So I'm very mm-hmm. intrigued by that and where you think about that. You know, um, I, I just want to, I guess, anchor this discussion in the human story, right? Being a storyteller, a writer, et cetera, 
for me, the human story is paramount. Okay. And um, when you talk about the a person's psychology, a lot of it has to do, of course, with background and how they see themselves, um, how they see their place in the world, how they make decisions, how they process information. The circles <laughs> of influence. Circles of influence. Yeah. So that's that's in a way the bedrock of my work, whether it's for the career side or the business side. Right. Okay. First, dig into who this person is as a human. What are their motivations? Before you ever look at experience, skills, or anything else, right? Because when you know that this person is driven by something very deep, something that's going to get them over all those, you know, humps and valleys and all the craziness that entrepreneurship has, and also being an employee has, then you've tapped into something really fundamental. So for me, psychology comes from any and every place. It could mean coming from a place of pain, meaning let's say I've been an employee at a company where I was micromanaged to death, and that's that's completely against my grade. Wait so, a minute, micromanagement exists in companies? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? We could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> or 10, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, basically psychology is of course twofold one is internal one is external in order sometimes to understand other people you have to understand yourself better and it's it's always this feedback back and forth right and you can learn psychology from books you can read fine literature and, and see how the greats maybe you have leo tolstoy or marcel proust or mm. you know hemingway how do they approach because you know really telling a story has to do with What's going on in the mind? I got to pause on that. I love the fact that you threw Hemingway in there and we're talking about psychology because most mm-hmm. people don't make that connection. And I got to connect this for you to see it because I, I think you would geek out on this with me. Mm-hmm. Live the Fuel stands for Live the Fired Up Epic Life. I use the acronym because I came from the mm-hmm. corporate life and acronyms yep. are everywhere. My favorite quote before creating Live the Fuel and an inspiration came from Ernest Hemingway because mm-hmm. his quote was, live life to the fullest. And I use that go. for years to justify all the craziness or my adrenaline junkie sports or me mm-hmm. leaving the business world for a couple of years to be the firefighter and learn more about myself and, and literally yep. go fight wildfires out West. So it was like, dude, like, mm-hmm. you know, live life to the fullest. Ernest Hemingway was a powerful influence. Just that one tagline, that one quote. And I just love the fact you just brought him up in reference to psychology. Amazing. Yeah. So look, my, my ethos is you learn from every person that you meet, every encounter, every book, everything is a chance to learn. It doesn't mean it's always, you know, rah, 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 this is the the principle for the rest of my life. Sometimes it's like, look, this person is treating me like utter garbage, or they're treating someone else like garbage, or they really don't see something that I see. So I need to learn from the negative, right? And it's very, very important for, you know, I, I could say, I look back at all the places where I've worked, I've horrible bosses, terrible fit. I was not the best employee by any means because I'm always thinking about my own ideas and you know I'm always out there. Not, hey, not always down here. Yeah, I'm, I'm just you know I wasn't meant to be an employee. <laughs> and all my friends, long after the fact, they're like, "Yeah, you really were not a good employee. You should have known that before." Where were you guys? Why couldn't you yeah. tell me the obvious? Oh yeah, you know why? Because I've had this conversation because they're trying to be your good friend and just support you yeah. in whatever you're doing, but then. If we think about this, because I want to go back in time too, and you got you and I are probably going to laugh our butts off about this. I hope so. But we're like, you know yep. what, man? If I just go back in time and make my friends say, you know what? I do trust you and I do believe you. And and even I have to realize it's like, oh my God, my longest standing friends probably should know me better than I know myself. So mm-hmm. maybe I should hear them if 
I've allowed them to speak and I've allowed, and they know that I am willing to hear them. So it's interesting. So, yeah, you got to avoid the echo chamber. It's very tough, but every, again, everyone and everything is a mentor. Mm -hmm. It's not just someone, you know, a coach that you hire or, you know, a former boss that you speak to once, once a year, you know, you have to use every opportunity to learn everything you can. And my, my whole thing is I try to slice it up in every way possible, right? So what uh, what is the language I need to use and take from this particular situation that gets me closer to my goal? You know, what is the way of thinking that I need to adopt in my business that'll get me closer to some goal? You know, how do I treat people better than I treat them now? How do I leave someone better off than they were before they met me? Those kinds of things. So every situation poses that kind of scenario. And if you you know, adopt those principles sooner or later, you'll be more or less consistent in the way you approach people. And I think that's, that has giant payoffs in business in personal relationships and just about every way. Hmm. Well, so if our listeners are hearing all this and they're trying to summarize everything you're going with here, um, I guess so they don't feel too overwhelmed, right? Because we've talked a lot about transformation on this show and this has come up a lot before. And I love the fact that I get to experience New York, by the way, and I'm here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so I used to go up, to, I'm not kidding you, man. Like my first startup company I worked for was in the late nineties. And, uh, when I was trying to also go to school at the same time, and I realized that wasn't a bad idea working full time mm. and going to school full time and oh, trying to boy. be an engineer. That was a great mm. idea. Um, mm-hmm. but people do it. And, uh, but I, I used to go back and forth. There's an area in New York city called Silicon alley. It was like a nickname mm-hmm. for all the tech companies and, yeah. Yeah. So I, I got to go up there all the time. And I, I, back then, all those noises I thought were awesome. And like nowadays <laughs> I go up there and I'm like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm get, getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to my point uh, for, for our listeners benefit. And actually, while I'm asking this question, I'm going to go ahead and do some more screen sharing again, because I brought you up on Amazon and this is you, right? That's me. Yeah, we go. We got returns and exchanges, a novel. We got uh, 20, 29 ways you cripple your success each day and how to stop it now. And this is also you, right? The Egypt in my looking glass? Yep. Jesus, That's... man. You got a lot going on here. I love it. Well, real quick, let's. this works perfectly with my question to you. 29 ways to cripple your success each day and how to stop it now. Mm-hmm. And I'm a take action guy. So in reference yep. to this book and what you just got done helping kind of open up for us, what are some of the biggest things that you see people Obviously, you've got 29 ways, but what are like the top couple of things that you're really just always having to talk to people about in reference to what you just explained and getting people to embrace the mentorship from all directions? And, and uh, my biggest thing is I feel like most people just get overwhelmed and they, they either burn out or give up too quick. But I'm just yep. interested to get where, where you think for your top two or three things that really stand out on this subject. Well, I would say that, first of all, uh, the biggest thing is, again, human. Right? If you look back at some of the greatest successes in life, they've, they've gone from a very low place to a very high place. Hmm. One very, very important part of that transition, that transformation, is changing the people that, that are around you. you, know, you know, there's this uh, very famous quote that you're the average of the five people uh, Jim Rohn. spend the most time with. Jim Rohn, yeah. Um, so... One big aspect of that, you know, you want neither people that are always naysayers, and you also don't want an echo chamber. You don't want people to just say yes, 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 right? So 
you that's another great reason why everyone and everything is a mentor because you don't need to rely on your network of five for every living breathing question you have right or every bit of support that you need. so you, you need to diversify the friends that you have even if they're maybe not real life friends maybe you you know know some great people in a facebook group and they, they really support your journey mm-hmm. if you don't know them personally so in in our age you can you know this goes this cuts both ways one is you may not get to know someone really fundamentally in a deep way until you meet them in person and whatever but sometimes you meet that person five years down the line after you've been you know sharing your your deepest experiences online and then it's just that much more meaningful like mm-hmm. you've known them your whole life so the five people don't have to be fa- just family or friends and they don't have to be just five people you know it's interesting because what you just talked, you brought that great quote from Jim Rohn. But on this subject, you also kind of hinted about the circles of influence, which actually we both have already talked about, I think, at least three different times already on this episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's another great quote, and I know uh, Forbes had put out a great article on it. Uh, there's that lifehack.org. They have an article on it. But it talk about, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room, right? Yep. So this, again, this is something that we have control over, but I think, man, especially, I, I, I don't know if you've ever been here. I don't know how New York City works this, but like in these areas and where I'm at, I'm an hour north of Philly, hour and mm-hmm. a half west of New York City. So I'm very close to you. I was actually literally 20 minutes outside the city earlier today for a meeting. Oh, okay. So uh, there's the areas, there's things called chambers of commerce, right? For mm-hmm. small businesses in the local communities. And it cracks me up because I don't go to them anymore. But when I was new and I was trying to figure out, right, small business, like, okay, I mean, I got to get myself around other people. I got to change my circles of influence. Mm-hmm. But I would start going to those events. And I can't, I, I got tired of it because it was the same people all the time. And then the hustlers, like the people like you and me who like get it, they come in, they make the connections. And that's like, all right, well, it's the same people all the time. And I meet other people like me who like, we literally had this conversation like, well, how much longer are you coming? He's like, I'll give it another chance, another week or two, you know, or next month. We'll see what the meeting's like, but this is not my circle, right? Like we're bigger than just the local community. We're online and it's no offense, right? Like there's a lot of local businesses who thrive because they do the whole, Hey, you, me, let's, let's support each other's businesses. Let's Mm -hmm. share each Mm -hmm. other, yada, yada, yada. But in the end, you will only be as big, as that local community's circle of influence. And yep. so I'm not trying to rip on them, but I'm just trying to relate that here to what you and I are talking about, because if, if that's your goal is to just be a local business to never go online to, mm-hmm. I don't want to say restrict, but maybe limit your circle of influence to just that local community, then great. Mm-hmm. The chamber of commerce is wonderful. I guess, I guess, um, God bless. Sure. Yeah. I, I, what, 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 where are you, where are your thoughts on this? I don't know if you've ever experienced this with the, the business influence. Cause you, you again, you're targeting fortune 500 companies with what you do. So I don't know if this ever even came up in discussions that you've dealt with. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, first I, I like to joke that networking is a four letter word. <laughs> <laughs> I like where you're going to go with me. this one. Yeah. So, um, we live in an age where anyway, millennials, especially, you know, you can, you can curse them and this and that, but you know, I'm a millennial, so I guess not too much. I'm okay. Um, well, you're allowed to swear on this show. 
<laughs> and I'll throw some shit out there right now. There you go. <laughs> Good. Awesome. <laughs> F and A. <laughs> okay. Um, so what I'm saying is millennials anyway don't really like to go somewhere for a meeting and hope for something. It's not a really great, you know, strategy. It's not a great tactic. If you want to reach somebody, just email them, call them, Facebook message them, whatever. Yeah, nowadays. To get to the point. <laughs> you got you got limitless ways to reach people nowadays. Exactly. So if you want to reach a decision maker, figure out what they care about. So establish some kind of value in that proposed relationship before you ask for something. That is the key. It's the same in person as it is in on, on the internet. Right? Same so, as ba basic sales 101 too, really, if you think about sure, it. Sure, yeah. sure. But most people don't have that mindset, right? I mean, I'm t thinking about my own first uh, sales experience. Just left grad school, just left the PhD program. I'm like, you know, this, uh, everything is up here. Everything is high level, you know, Bruce yeah. Hemingway, whatever. And here I am face to face with like, you got to sell shit. <laughs> yeah. Like put uh -oh. up or shut up, man. Now it's time to get the job done. Uh oh, right. So my first experience was actually selling office supplies, believe it or not. Okay. Uh, WB Mason. Um, and, oh yeah, office big supplies. company. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Their, I see their trucks everywhere. That's a long-standing company. Yeah. So I, I did that for about three weeks. I don't know. <laughs> sold about four hundred bucks. Uh, some miracle. I have no idea how I did it. My approach was like, look, I'm 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 miserable. So at least let me learn a little bit about I don't know the West Village and Midtown East or whatever. Let me like figure out what are the cool businesses where I can go buy a macaroon later. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so really upside down. And it took me a very long time, you know, just to realize the obvious that before you can sell something, you really got to believe in it. Yes. The first time I did that was really selling myself and my, my services and how I can help people. So hearing no is, is like, okay, listen, I get it. You know, there are a lot of reasons why somebody might say, no, they, they're not ready. They don't see the value. Maybe I have more to learn. Maybe it's not about me at all. Maybe it's a PMS day. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, so um, once once you get all the things straight in your head about, you know, human nature is predictable at once and, and other things are just random. So whatever you can control, don't bother. But what you can control, you better bloody get right. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Yeah. A so, lot of us, yeah. I think, try, try and focus on too much stuff, especially in a, in a classic sales process. I mean, I can't tell you how many times with my old employees, I, I used to work for, I was an analyst with, well, prior to being an analyst, I was a coach for T-Mobile. Uh -huh. uh, they okay. got rid of, they got rid of our managerial titles. These are 600 person, 400 to 600 person call centers. And mm. uh, this is before I moved West. This is one of the last companies I worked for years ago. I think I was there until I think 2006 is when I left. I was, I was with that. I went through that company through three buyouts, you know, mergers, rebranding. Like it wasn't always T-Mobile. T-Mobile didn't no. exist <laughs> in the U S when I worked there. Right. Um, and anyway, the point was, it's like, uh, we ended up, I ended up helping launch a special project. It was called uh, a retention department because we mm -hmm. figured out as a company kind of a no brainer now that I, nowadays for me, but like back then we're like, Oh, it's cheaper to save a customer than acquire a new one. So oh, sales yes. and marketing, they're going to keep doing what they're doing, but within the call center space beyond traditional customer service, what are we doing to, you know, I guess, value the customer and save the customer. Like, do you, do they feel valued or they feel like just a number? Cause if they feel like just a number, then they're going to keep bouncing from carrier to carrier from company to company. Cause they don't care. Um, mm -hmm. anyway, so we launched a whole retention division to try and reduce the attrition numbers of the company. You know, in over, over two years, we saved millions of dollars. Um, 
But the biggest lesson I learned from that was when I was coaching those employees, I couldn't just stick anybody in that position, right? So it was an advancement. People were going to get paid more per hour. I I was, you know, we were going to be leading specialty teams. And the biggest thing I had to get through to these employees was like, listen, guys, like this is sales. Like, no, 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 no. This is, you said this is the new advanced customer service department to retain customers. I'm like, yes. But just like customer service, all of you are sales. Like, we're not in sales. I'm like, yes, you are. I was like, just like when you ask a girl or a guy out on a date, just like when you lie to your parents as a kid that you didn't scrape the uh, the side of the car when you decide to try and park the car in the garage to be a nice nice son. Yes, I did that. Um, <laughs> it's like, okay, guys, like if you're lying, fibbing, or maybe trying to overboast yourself to somebody in your life, you're selling. I, I, I can't put it any simpler than that. Trying to get a job in a job interview, trying to get a, a scholarship, trying to get a college to accept you. It's mm-hmm. all a sales process. Uh, sure. Where do you chime in on that? Yeah, I mean, look, this is something I learned belatedly and often the hard way because uh, I really sucked at not only selling, I sucked at negotiating. I, I, I didn't I didn't have a firm grasp of who I am, where am I going in life, what's my mission, and how do I help the human condition through my particular, you know, capabilities, right? And this is beyond you just valuing whatever it is you're selling as you're, as exactly. you there. Exactly. So the, the process is kind of like, you know, I'm free floating and I'm, I'm struggling. I'm trying to get better and, and like a thousand different directions, but with no, no specific rhyme or reason. It is grasping at straws. Hmm. And until you reach a point where you're really sick of yourself and you're free floating and sort of not having a, a clear base of, identity and you know your mission and whatever you, you don't learn what to grasp that's the firm and sure. i got to that point what one of my you know biggest lows i just said you know what actually this book uh, 29 <laughs> 29 ways grew out of that experience because i i just realized you know what i need to write down the things that are my principles the things that i know intuitively but i may not verbalize regularly and that's why i get you know uh, get friends that are naysayers or get into relationships that are bad for me or I'm in the wrong career, those kinds of things. So 29 ways is actually sort of codification of all the ways in which I failed and then realized that I need to correct the course. Okay. So th- and that's kind of where my uh, business and self-help and all that kind of writing started because I just put all those things together in one document. I decided to kind of basically get all that brain vomit out into like actual documented vomit. Exactly. <laughs> and somebody, somebody said that somebody to me one time. Somebody finds that vomit useful, hopefully. <laughs> it's hopefully, hopefully a service to mankind uh, vomit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Packaged nicely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we're all guilty of it. We all have ideas. Yeah. We all have inspirations. We all have, uh, I, I, I truly tell people this all the time, like uh, we all have stories to tell. It just comes mm-hmm. down to like I, I I've been I've mentioned this a couple of times this year where it's come up a number of times like oh someone's like oh man you should write a book about the journey of being a farm kid to chasing corporate dreams to then dropping everything and going and being a federal firefighter out west to mm-hmm. coming back and trying to figure out this whole entrepreneurial journey like that could be a crazy book I'm like okay yeah I mean easier said than done <laughs> I think It'll we all happen. have to reach a point. It's what you did where it's like, okay, I got all this stuff. Eventually just, I uh-huh. got to write it down. And I'm just, I'm on the precipice. I, I, I feel it. I feel it for 2018. I think it might I have to it become too. it. So I don't know. 
I think so. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in a way, when you write things down, you commit yourself, whether you, you know, whether you put it in those terms or not, you commit yourself to some kind of framework, some kind of way of thinking, because once it's out there, you're giving advice, you better be consistent with it. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> yes, yes. You know? I, I Thank you. Great point on hip- hypocrisy. Um, <laughs> How do how do we how do we help people not take this as an insult? The point on this subject, I don't, I don't want to lose this because I love the fact you hit on it. Is yeah. that your ideas may change? Our like I'm a health and fitness nut, right? We talk mm-hmm. a lot about health on this show, yep, and healthy lifestyle balance. And it's funny because my own father brought it up. Like I'm a huge I love eggs, right? I think it's the mm-hmm. perfect food. But he's like, yeah, but weren't you like ten years ago talk about how? You know, all of a sudden the whole egg white thing was in and and yolks were bad. And I'm like, yeah, but dad, 10 years ago, I, I was like, I will accept that criticism because that was ill-informed education. Mm-hmm. I took that out of a men's health magazine and took it like it was the Bible. Years later, I wouldn't touch a magazine like that with a 10-foot pole because yep. I've now, thanks to this podcast too, I've been meeting with you know, biologists and, and people with way more education than I do have on those subjects. So now I've mm-hmm. got real data, you know, real knowledge to educate myself yep. on. So it's not so much becoming a hypocrite. It's just like being mm-hmm. willing, be willing to accept that maybe you were wrong on something, but don't, keep, ah. don't keep pushing the wrong content. Mm-hmm. I, and it sounds like I caught something there. I mean, what you're like, ah, yeah. So what, what, where, where are you <laughs> going with that? Well, my mom is a biologist, and uh, for many years, ah. uh, long long before any um, you know any popular opinion back this, she was saying, "No pizza in the house, no coke, yeah. none of this garbage, Mediterranean sugar, sugar diet, garbage." Yeah, right. So my my mom, as someone who you know in her childhood loved her eclairs and 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 um, you know, but she knew they weren't pastries. that good for you. You know, but that's all she ate. She was like stick thin. And then at some point she realized actually right around the time when I was born that like, I really have to take care of my health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got I got that in my, you know, in my bloodstream and in my mindset very early. I still get it daily. <laughs> you know, so it's there's a lot to be said about knowing when you're in over your head, right? Because you'll have people around you. Yes, yes, you're right. Absolutely. Okay, I'll take your advice on how to fight the common cold. And you may not bloody know. You don't know the research. You don't know that maybe the open window isn't what causes your cold. It's it's the fact that your nasal lighting is dry, yeah. right? And then all the viruses uh, attach easily there. Or are but, you somebody who frequents a hospital? Like that, that's a breeding ground of illness. Like I mean, exactly. I mean, there, I mean, maybe you don't work, or maybe you do. Work, maybe you don't work there, but maybe you're a uh, uh, you know somebody who's helping a not for profit. So you're popping into, uh, you know, base, I call them sick houses, but basically mm-hmm. hospitals. Let's be real. I mean, it, it, I know they're there to help people, but if you want to look for a concentration of illness or, or uh, bacteria, like, eh, you're probably going to find it there. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, my, my approach, and I try to keep this as consistent as I can across different areas. It mm-hmm. might apply to politics or economics or, you know, the way I create art, right? I, I try to do my best to put together my thoughts, together with data, together with research, whatever is available, and I, I make educated conjectures. But I don't say, you know, this is the be-all and end-all. This is absolute uh, truth. Hmm. We're always looking. We're always learning. We're always trying to understand what is the real truth. That is, That should be, in fact, the goal of, I think, 
any human being. You should look for truth. You should help others try to figure out the truth, whether that's in health or fitness or whatever your field of influence is. That's, that's what drives me. So a fun way to tie all this together is how we should keep looking for the, you know, for answers, right? Like don't, mm -hmm. don't automatically assume that what we know today is the end all be all. That's the yep. beauty of science. And we're always researching things. And, uh, but I, I, and, and I already hinted at like, Hey, if you find out you're wrong, you know, own it and step up and move forward. But I also, I've also realized over the years, uh, that we're never going to know everything, mm -hmm. but what if back to the kind of the networking piece is that you, you keep getting connected to people who do know more about that subject. So when yep. you reach a point in your explanation and you know that you, you really shouldn't pursue any further, you can say, at least say, Hey, you know what? Why don't you check out this person and their research or their book or whatever and mm -hmm. let me know your thoughts on that. Like I, I, I've gotten way better at that nowadays. Like I'm very passionate about health and fitness, but it's like, I also know that I don't know everything either. And I would yep. rather say, great. Uh, for example, biologist, uh, Dr. Sylvia Tara, she, she published a book this year, the secret life of fat. So now mm -hmm. if I get into a cellular discussion about what the functionality of, of the true functionality of, of the biology of a fat cell in the body, I'm like, yep. go, go, go get her book or just Go research her research because <laughs> she spent exactly. 20 years researching the fat cell. It's mm -hmm. cool to have those. Uh, and I, that's why I geek out about podcasting because I, I connect with <laughs> uh, luminaries like yourself where, hey, maybe you don't have the PhD, but you studied a hell of a lot more about neuroscience than I did because I didn't study it at all. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and yet, you know, who the hell am I? <laughs> Just the one-year PhD student. Right, right. Anyways, but in the end, yeah. you know something about something that I mm -hmm. don't know. And if I had to start a step-by-step -step process to find an answer, I would say, okay, well, great. I could reach out to Yuri on that. And if he doesn't know, I guarantee you, he's probably going to pass me on to somebody who knows more about that than he does. And I think that's yeah. what we all need to be doing in life is that you don't have to have the answer to everything. That's something mm -hmm. in sales too, right? It's like, sure. don't bullshit a bullshitter is like an old fashioned saying <laughs> in the sales process, right? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you know, you're talking to somebody who doesn't know. And now they're asking you that question. And if you don't know, at least be honest and say, you know what? I don't know exactly the answer on that, but let me follow up with you on that. I'm going to go ahead and take note of this. Let me get back to you later today or tomorrow. At least own it. Don't try and BS it because they're going to call you on your crap in no time. Yeah, you're cooked if you do yeah. that. Sure. But how many people do that professionally, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the vast majority of people do their best given the circumstances because they feel that, if I don't, if I don't own, it's all about ownership, but in the wrong way, right? They, they want to own something they don't really own. They, they're fronting and they don't want to own the mistakes. And I think that's, that's a huge mistake because it's much easier to say, I don't know. Here's the best that I know. Go ask a real expert. And that's, that's a much more constructive conversation and process. And people appreciate that even more. Oh, I totally agree. Like, I'm going to go ahead and back and screen share again because I was on your site before the episode started. Mm -hmm. And like a couple of spots now that we're talking about this right now was like, okay, you got the career mastery section. And uh, obviously, I, I know for a fact from career development, how many people try and BS their way through career. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I know you can help them there. But more importantly, I know like under, where was I here? Oh, the business mastery. So PR Hacker Academy. PR, mm -hmm. are you referring to public relations? Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. So back to the BS value. <laughs> How many people <laughs> over fluff their PR? Because wow. people are yeah. consulting with them and saying, hey, it's okay to uh, polish it up a little bit. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. yeah, as long as you can back it up. 
So I'm just wondering what your feedback is on that. <laughs> well, look, um, you know, not over almost that is to say when you start with PR and media exposure, you probably should start with lower level things, especially if you make it your your you know profession. If you're not just trying to sort of promote your brand. Okay. If you're really serious about writing and adding value to people, then start low and then eventually the the big guns like uh, Forbes and Inc. and Fast Company, you know those guys, they'll they'll pay attention because you've consistently added value. You've supported your position with evidence. And it's not just about, you know, a nice listicle, although God knows all those guys do a lot of listicles as well. <laughs> you know, so PR, it's it's a funny thing because PR is one of those things where you can get very far very quickly if something goes viral, if something really catches a nerve. And it can really help you grow your business. Okay. But if you do it in the wrong way, meaning it's just fluff and and seasoned people will see through it, then you know you haven't really accomplished your purpose. If if your purpose is to sell purely just to sell and make money, you'll slip up sooner or later because oh, you're gonna crash so, and burn. Yeah. But if your whole point is to help people in this world help improve the human condition through your set of experiences, capabilities, and et cetera, et cetera, then you'll get further and you'll add more value along the way. And I think people will give you more, more slack if, if something, you know, isn't a hundred percent here. PR is very powerful. I agree. And it's, it's interesting because I tell you all the time, like really a podcast can be added into your PR campaign, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's why like before we started the show today, I told you how I was like, I don't edit and I keep the mm -hmm. conversation real because we're real and we're pure. And that's the biggest thing that I come across people from time to time, they don't get it yet, that you can't be authenticity, right? Like this mm -hmm. YouTube feed will be completely raw. It's just you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm recording from my house. I'm guessing you're recording from your house. It's like, got it. we're yeah. still real people. We're real people who have professions on different stages in the timelines, mm -hmm. influence from different people and different organizations, but if you can get something authentic and real out there amongst the rest of your very professionally polished PR campaigns, mm -hmm. as long as everything is truthful and there's no BS, I feel so much more comfortable in life. Like why? I get it. People we're, we're all taught, uh, not all, not all of us are taught, but many people are taught to fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a term that I've heard on J JLD's show and other people's show. I'm like, okay, guys, be careful with fake it till you make it. Uh, mm -hmm. as the co-host today, how would you like to help people understand what the term fake it till you make it is supposed to mean? Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, we talked about language and psychology as, as two really important pillars. Mm -hmm. Imagine you have nothing else in the world. You know, you don't have any fancy house. You don't have any fancy car, fancy degrees, nothing. You just have yourself and whatever you bring to the table. Two of the things that you can change, right? There are really three: thought, speech, and action. Okay. Thought, you can speech, always, and action. Okay. Yeah, thought, speech, and action. Those things you can always change. You can always make better. You can always improve them. Right? Most people kind of oh, well know that those are the three things. Okay. So of those, language and psychology are paramount. Okay. And that happens to be where, you know, where my specialty is. So when Clearly. you talk about fake it till you make it, I think it's really getting at learn, you know, do your best with whatever you've learned so far about the language of your audience and the psychology of your audience. 
right? A lot of the time, people will give you the benefit of the doubt if you sound like them, if you think like them. Okay, I mean, probably if you look like them, that doesn't hurt either. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, have exactly the same everything. But sure. when you have similar way of communicating as they do, they feel like, okay, I can I can lower my barriers with this person because they get it. So even if you don't truly get it and you're quote unquote faking it, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a disservice to call it fakery. I think you're learning, you're learning by doing. What, what do you I think, think about the, uh, um, as we're talking about this, the first thing that popped in my head the right way is learning to become a chameleon. Uh-huh. Um, I'm interesting to see how, if that makes sense in what you're trying to explain to people right now. Cause like it's, you have to learn to adapt to your environment. So you don't have to fake it per se, but you do have mm-hmm. to adapt to a certain person's conversation style, like basically meet them where they are at. So, sure. but, don't, but, but then don't <laughs> BS it so bad about yourself that you literally are trying to say that you're Ty Lopez out there making millions of dollars and you drive Lamborghinis, sure. but you live in a crappy part of New Jersey and mm-hmm. you got about a 500 square foot apartment and you drive a Pinto. I don't know. <laughs> Just throwing sure. it out there. <laughs> Look, I think going back to psychology and neuroscience, it's very simply called mirroring, mm-hmm. right? When, when you get good at communicating, you learn that you need to mirror your audience, whether it's their gestures, whether it's their questions, their answers. It's, it's a subconscious thing that some people have um, you know, very well developed. So mirroring is part of this quote unquote, fake it till you make it. You, mm-hmm. you, you absorb how your audience speaks, communicates, what symbols matter to them. And you incorporate those into your portfolio, into the way you present and the way you communicate. So I, you know, I, I, like I said, I really, I don't like that term because I think it does a disservice. It's kind of like, you know, what I call the concert pianist standard, right? Being, being Russian. And, you know, I think uh, a number of Asian cultures have the same thing. If you're going to play piano, you better make it to Carnegie Hall. Otherwise you're a failure. Hmm. Wow. No, you're not. taking music seriously. (laughs) Yeah. You know, this is the mindset. This is a Soviet mindset where, the only way to make it really is to be the absolute best of whatever you do. Otherwise you're, you're like, you're just, you're nothing. Okay. Right. And I grew up with this and I internalized it. And at some point, you know, I failed enough in a number of different careers and jobs and whatever. I realized, you know what? Part of the reason for my failure is because I measure myself against that impossible standard, which doesn't bloody exist. How many concert pianists do I know that make it to Carnegie? Okay. So once you, it's not that you let your standards disappear, right? You don't just sort of backslide, but you realize, okay, I'm not a concert pianist. I can forgive myself. I need to find the thing at which I'm the best in the world, which, you know, in in my view, it's my mission here is to help others find their life mission, pursue it and monetize it. That's, that's how I encapsulate my mission. I like right? that. So for me, when, you know, people say, oh, fake it till you make it, they're you're using that impossible standard that you are absolute perfection. You have 20 years of schooling and 15 years of research, and you are the epitome of knowledge. That's garbage. We know that. We know in business that this is not this is not serious. True. The, you know the best practitioners of something are doing it every day. They're not just researching. They're not theorizing. They're doing it. And it's not gonna you know it's not gonna make me popular in academia to say that, but that's 
that's just the truth. That's that's the I, truth I, that I found in business. We're we're not alone on that. I mean, let's be real. How many people coming out of school don't have a freaking clue? Because yeah, I, I'm not to stroke my own ego, but hey, I worked my way. I paid my own way. I've made yeah. ridiculous quantities of mistakes. I've also mm-hmm. changed careers multiple times. I've been in mm-hmm. the telecom space, the call center space, the cell phone space, the IT space, the firefighting space, mm-hmm. HVAC industry uh, technology space. It's like, okay. Fantastic. Here and we that's are. how I look at it. Because see, when I was younger, mm-hmm. I had collegiate friends of mine saying, well, Scott, you got to pick one thing because right now you're, a, you're a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I said, well, or I'm somebody who's taken risks learned along the way, made mistakes along the way. And then Mm -hmm. as long as I learn, and this is something I learned from one of my firefighting squad bosses, he said, listen, we're all, we're always going to have a a shitty day. He's like, we have a good day. We got a bad day. We have a shitty day. He's like the the difference between you getting through this, uh, the firefighting season, for example, was you have to have the mindset daily that you got to find a way to take the good out of it. Like mm-hmm. even the worst firefighting front we were on or, or like someone's injured or you're just it, it, people getting dehydrated. Like there's all these variables that could affect our day. And he says, guys, yeah. like ah, as your leader, he's like, I don't have time for that. I have to keep, keep you guys safe, you know, get you into a fire and out of a fire daily and be hopefully moving, you know, a fire to, to the point of containment. So the public is happy. Right. He's yep. like, but in the end, I can only focus on one day at a time. And he said, I have to find a way to take the good out of everything we're doing because there's going to be limitless amounts of bad. And I just Mm -hmm. love that explanation. That's from 2010 because it's like, man, it's like, yeah, we have a choice to take the good out of things in life. There's too many negative things out there from our own negative self-talk or others around us. We have Mm -hmm. to stay on the positive front. We're going to get beat up daily. What are you doing to take the good out of what you're learning? Mm -hmm. No, I like like this image. I just thought of it. So imagine that you know high qualifications and all the all the the ways in which our society um, says, okay, you're accomplished, you've made it, right? So let's let's call that kind of like continents, right? But what about the bridges between continents? What about the transportation systems between? Mm-hmm. Some people are not meant to be like continents, right? They're meant to be the connection, the you know the fuel that creates new ideas and and fields and, and, you know, create something new, creates that communication. You're providing so, the logistics, the pathways, the, exactly. Yeah. like really so you're, me, you're basically, um, providing guidance. You're basically, if you own, I'm, I'm obviously I'm going to very simplify you and pardon this, but if you were younger back in school, you know, here in the U S if you were in high school, everybody had a guidance counselor. And mm-hmm. if that person was good, mine was terrible. Uh, they would take the time to really connect with each student mm-hmm. and figure, help you figure out where you felt the most natural and where you're meant to go. Not what your parents wanted, not mm-hmm. what your friends are doing, but what really sang true to you. And what, what that, that's what I truly believe a true proper guidance counselor should be doing. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm referring back to childhood, but fast forward to today and where you're at today, like you're at a much more adult, much more professional scale, <laughs> but you're helping guide people and their companies and their organizations on the right path. You, you're, you're providing the logistics, you know, to get them to that, that next step. I think, um, again, I want to circle back because this, this to me seems to be the, the common theme here. Yeah. When you're going up through the ranks where, whether it's, you know, you're a kid just learning from everybody and everywhere, or you're an analyst in, in some, you know, crappy company where you're just trying to figure out, you know, who are you and what are you meant to do? 
you're learning slowly but surely your own language, your own way of expressing the reality that you're thrust into, which is different for all of us in, in a number of ways. You're learning to establish your own way of, you know, finding your place in the world and what you're meant to do. And really, you know, fake it till you make it, not to beat a dead horse, mm -hmm. is just that process of learning and iteration and failure and mistakes and, you know, relationships and wh whatever, whatever goes into that. It's sometimes very chaotic. Well, again, it's all pushing us ways. towards the next logical step if, exactly. if we're willing to listen to it. Right. Yeah. But the people that we often consider as those that have made it, that are role models, et cetera, all they've done, they haven't reinvented the wheel. They haven't, you know, started some kind of new language that, you know, everybody else adopted. You know, it's, it's essentially they've taken pieces and bits and, and, and you know, of wisdom and, and something that's been shared, something they've experienced, and they've created a new way of really re-explaining and retelling the same kinds of stories and the same sure. kinds of principles for a new audience. That's all it is. There's nothing new under the sun. I agree. Actually, you know, you know, you're making me connect back to a past co-host. You ever hear of a, a very well-known brand, Ugg Boots? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah right? So I've, I've had the founder on the show, Brian Smith. Mm -hmm. Nice old guy, man. Like knowledgeable. But do you think, and he sold the company, I think he said like 15 years ago or 11 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. The guy's a, a true epitome nowadays of a healthy lifestyle balance because obviously the guy's from Australia. That's where the product came from. Mm -hmm. But he lives in California. I'm sure financially he's doing great since selling the company. And yep. uh, now he's moved himself into helping uh, basically build a legacy. And he's, he's gotten into more into public speaking, right? So now mm -hmm. companies hire him to come out and speak because he's got a legacy, a story to tell. He's got the mm -hmm. mistakes that he's made and where the company came from to where he took it to being sold and all those steps and to your point, like he's just at a different place on the timeline. Uh, if you would have talked to him in the first five years of founding that company to the last five years, uh, building it up to the point of sale, mm -hmm. whole different stories were probably being told. Nothing alike. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's what most people forget about. It's like there's everybody's got a past man. And if you truly have a great story to tell, I prefer to talk to people who have a crap little mistakes that they've made or, not only say horror stories, but like the great way you started this show up, like full circle is back to where like, man, like you're studying neuroscience and you were considering a PhD. And then it's like, all of a sudden you at least listen to yourself and you're like, wait a minute, this sucks. <laughs> I, yes. I, I don't know if it sucked, but I mean, <laughs> it did. It did. Let's be honest. It okay. Really did. I love that. I love that. Thank, thank you for the truth. So, uh, and now it's funny because actually I got a screen share again because I did not click on this earlier. Dude, you've, um, you're messing around with some big companies, man. I love it. You got some good, uh, some big logos up on the site. So you've, uh, you've been getting around. <laughs> well, listen, uh, you know, um, actually, uh, I want to just tell you a quick story how this company got started. Yeah. Um, you know, I was actually in between startup gigs, and um, my my wife was like, "Okay, you know, you gotta you gotta do something, mm -hmm. right?" And it just so happened, unfortunately, that our little one was two months at the time got diagnosed with cancer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So essentially we decided that, you know, I'm going to stay home um, because I need to take care of her. And my wife, my wife has the corporate job and, you know, thank God for that because insurance, as you can imagine, those kinds of chemo treatments are 20 K a pop. 
Yeah, and I'm, but, I'm hoping, um, obviously, that all the insurance was all locked in and happy before he was diagnosed. Yeah, so. yeah, no, thank, thank God she's doing much, much better. She's been, she's been free for a few months. But the point is, in a way, this kind of mission was thrust upon me, right? I wanted to do my own thing, but it's not practical. I've got, you know, a quarter million in law school loans, blah, blah, blah. But I was, I was kind of thrust into a place where I'm, I had to sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm taking care of my daughter. I'm staying at home. I have to use what I have, right? The knowledge that I have and like, well, okay, you know, I've done some coaching before based on my, my whole system of, you know, learning what language and psychology you need for each particular audience. So I started coaching on different platforms. I started seeing the kinds of clients that are attracted to working with me. And I realized that part of it is domain expertise. Part of it is similarity in stories, interestingly enough. And, you know, it's not just like they want to work with someone that looks like them, but they want to work with someone who's been in, you know, through all of those ups and downs and has a system, you know, has guaranteed results, et cetera. And that's, that's how I started seeing what are my ideal clients. And then, you know, you find those, you speak to them, you engage in the whole sales cycle, but not look at it as a sales cycle. I'm telling my story. I'm telling them how I will be able to help them. And, and that's, that's how this thing was born. You know, there's help on the career side, help on the startup side. And of course, now taking that message to a corporate level and training corporate teams on, on how to communicate better, how to retain those same people that would frankly otherwise come to me to transfer jobs, I, uh, change careers. I got a little taste of that myself, man. Again, actually, before I became an analyst with T-Mobile, when I was doing the coaching, mm-hmm. we realized the attrition value of lessons also applied to the internal process. Ah, there we go. They, their call, their, their basic call center customer service rep. This is again back in the mid two thousands. Um, oh God, it was seven weeks of new hire wow. training. So figure out the mathematics on that. And the average mm-hmm. training class was at least twenty people. And this mm-hmm. is just like this is like the morning. This is a twenty four hour call center. So they'd run morning trainings and evening trainings. And this is one call center. They owned eleven in the U S. So wow. do the math on new hire training. The employee attrition was terrible, um, so we I was all, I was on one of those project teams too because as coaches we were not just there to coach, develop, and mentor and help them find their career path in the company, mm-hmm. uh, but we also then had to reapply it back to like are we even getting the right talent onto the floor coming in or, and that it, getting into the training? So it's like okay, well it, we got to help HR. Like HR can only do so much. So I'm with you, man. Like it's coaching applies at all different levels of the process and. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to say no to somebody when they're being hired, but I would actually get to the point where I'm like, listen, don't take this as a personal attack against you. Like we've spent a lot of time and money investing in coaching and developing and training to make sure we're finding the right people. We don't mm-hmm. want to waste your time either. I know you don't want to hear that right now, but like, what if this is the wrong job and the wrong career for you? Like you're meant to do something else, you know? And I think most companies sometimes are afraid to say that or never yeah. say that. <laughs> And look, the, the funny part is, and I see this theme over and over, your employees are your customers. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to treat your employees the way, the same way you would treat your customers and vice versa. And if you get, if you get that insight, you're really much further than most companies and most executive teams because they're just like, well, I want to maintain the status quo and not rock the boat. And, you know, like, who cares about improvement? It's expensive. It's this and that. You're not treating people correctly, whether internally or externally. You're not going to have much of a company. Well, 
to end on a positive note to bring this show closer to a close for us because we've been talking about an hour now and we've been rocking mm-hmm. out. I love it. Have awesome. you ever used this tool? Strengths Finder. Um, I know about it. No, I have not. I have not used it. I have kind of my own methodology around this. Well, I mean, one thing I like about it is just, just I think it's just fun to go through as an exercise. I did this the first time back in 2014. And mm-hmm. it's it's um, uh, if you've heard of Gallup, you're using their online Gallup uh, yep. psychological technology questionnaires, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But Strengths Finder has their own you know interface. And the point yep. is, is that when you're done with this, or sorry, when you're done with the online system, which takes maybe 10, 20 minutes to do the actual test, uh, yep. I just had my client do it for two of her employees. I said, listen, you have, since you hired them a year ago, I was like, what strengths do they bring forth? Mm-hmm. And she had no clue. And I was like, and these are millennials, right? So I was like, listen, mm-hmm. like, have you helped them realize what strengths they're bringing forth? And exactly. she couldn't really properly answer that. And I was like, what if you're sending them the wrong workload? Or if you're frustrated because they're not turning around certain projects fast enough, are you mm-hmm. giving the right assignments and the right projects to feed what they actually love? Yep. She, she couldn't answer that. And I was like, listen, just humor me. And mm-hmm. I, I ran a, a, a StrengthsFinder training session morning and evening. We were doing training and development throughout the day. But two days in a row, we would start the day at StrengthsFinder because I had them do all the tests. Everybody had to get a book. You got your little online code. You go on, you take it. I've talked about it on the show before. I think it's a fun mm-hmm. tool for somebody who's not at your level yet. Um, but I was like, what if this one little book helped you as an individual in life, not just business, not just your job, but in life, say, wow, I didn't realize I had that as one of my natural-born strengths. Maybe mm-hmm. I haven't even been tapping into it yet in life, romance or your profession Um, that's it that's your mojo right (laughs) that's exactly what it is everybody's i don't know if you agree with this but their whole point is you'll find out what your top five strengths are from taking this process and Mm -hmm. maybe not all of them really ring solid but i'm sure some of them will and it's and it was it was a great i love doing this experiment because people like i never really took it that seriously and then the only thing you read in the book are the five chapters that relate to your five strengths and you ignore the rest. But in the book, they tell you what certain personality types and strengths work well with you. And so it's like, okay, so now that's how I applied it to her company. I was like, okay, now let's take this and figure out who should be working with who and who will feed and fuel off of each other. So I took it to a whole different level. Uh, But I figured you would geek out a little bit about that because how many people spend countless hours trying to develop like the biggest weakness that they have. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, just outsource it, dude. Like you would try to develop this weakness. Like for example, go back to music, right? Like maybe you just suck at the violin, man. Maybe you're meant to play the piano. Mm-hmm. If you really love music, try another instrument. What if that one sings true to you? And you then you learn that thing in one year versus you've spent five years and you still suck at that other thing. Like take a risk and try something different. But that's why I love about this little book here. I just, I get a kick out of it because it, I figured you at least knew what I was talking about. So of course, of course, if, if you want, I can tell you very, very quickly what my own methodology is. I think sure, this would yeah. be very useful for your listeners. Yeah. So my methodology has four pillars. It looks at number one, life mission, meaning when you're away from all those boundaries, you know, you're, mortgage, kids, whatever your wife says, whatever your parents said, what intellectual problem do you choose to solve, right? Meaning maybe you want to cure AIDS in uh, Thailand or you want to deliver drinking water to sub-Saharan Africans or uh, you want to help old ladies cross the street. Okay. You know, it doesn't sound so sexy or ambitious, but if that's your thing, 
if that's your mission, if there's, you know, you have skills there and there's market need, go for it. Create a business maybe. Sure. Right. Second is values. Values looks at the common themes among the people you choose to spend time with. Maybe they're particularly kind or hilarious or they're brilliant or they empower you or there's something like a theme in, in those people. that there's you certain really people you're drawn enjoy. to. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Then there's outcomes, which means what do you like to deliver to other people to improve their human condition, right? It might be you deliver delight. Maybe you write poetry or you write music or you write code. And people are like, oh, wow, you really touched me in a deep place. Or maybe you love taking care of other people. Maybe you empower them with, you know, a certain mindset or, you know, certain uh, emotional support or material support, whatever, so they can do their life's best work. Maybe you're a niche expert in um, the Saudi economy, you know, and maybe you contribute niche knowledge to the world at large. Or maybe you're the visionary, the one who runs around and uh, presents in an evangelical way. You need to invest in what we're doing and, Know, work with me, whatever, or maybe you're just a no nonsense kind of person. You're a project manager, you know, Straight which is get, get the shit done, you know. And the third, the last one is role. Role grows out of outcomes. This is your natural inclination in any situation. Maybe you, I don't know, you like to curate information, maybe you empower others, etc. etc. And so, you're putting you put those four together, you have a whole human. Then you look at negative scripts, things holding you back from your from achieving your potential, and also what I call founding stories, which touches upon how you process information, how you make decisions, what kinds of games do you enjoy playing? Maybe that's uh, word games, strategy, or role playing. Interesting. You know, you look at uh, who were your mentors, what kinds of books did you truly enjoy reading? Um, you know, those those kinds of questions. And so then you really then, get people to. And, and companies, obviously, according to your site, Business Mastery yep. and Career Mastery, it sounds mm -hmm. like you really get people to really self-reflect on what probably everything they've taken for granted. Like they just, they just, oh, I just never really thought about what, who, what, and why I, I'm drawn to these things in my life. And this is it's hard. always been there. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard stuff, but all I'm doing is I'm putting up a mirror and I'm saying, look, here's who you are. Here, here are your five five themes that we need to work on. They're not just strengths, you know, not, I don't want to knock sure. uh, strengths finder, but no, this just is a one, much that's richer, one tool. That's one tool, this is yeah. human, human potential, right? You want to get all the raw material out on the table so that you can say, okay, for investors, they need to see this set of things. For employees, this set of things. For advisors, something else, okay? But you have everything on the table, the person, knows that this this is who I really am. This is not some official propaganda version of my LinkedIn or resume, <laughs> right? And usually I work with people that are a little bit further in their career, maybe, you know, director or VP at a bank, for example, or you know, one of my clients is a CIO of a university endowment. You know, these are people that are very good at what they do. So clearly they're usually aware of what their strengths are, but the other stuff, the baggage is just weighing on them. So hmm. the the other interesting pieces of what of who they are are laying buried. So what I help them to do is dig them up, use them, use your full self in order to contribute to improving the human condition. I that's like that. that's what I'm here to do. That's that's my role in life. And now to kind of full circle that for the listeners, 
how long did it take you to figure that part out that what you're supposed to do for us? <laughs> well, between four career changes and, you know, quarter million in debt and uh, living in New York with, with the family and two kids and everything else took me a bloody long time. Yeah. And also to write down what are those different pillars and why, why those as opposed to something else. But the point is at, at, at some point I realized everything that, I'm meant to do in life is, has always been sitting right here on the tip of my nose. And I'm looking everywhere outside for who am I, what am I, what am I meant to do? And it always comes back to how do I see the world? I've always seen the world through the lenses of, you know, what is this person thinking? What language do they speak? How do I access them, mm -hmm. listen to them, understand their problems, and then help them solve those problems? And so I've always been kind of a consultant, a coach. That's always been my personality. Well, and the powerful thing is, uh, and I love the personalization. Thank you for your transparency. That it, it, one of the key trigger points that I heard from you was something as powerful as your child, obviously, learning that she has cancer. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you could let that shut you down, or you can use that in a way to obviously allow you to spend proper time with your family, but also yep. to take the time and say, wait a minute. What am I doing with my life? What could I be doing better? What could I be doing better to impact mankind personally and professionally? And that's what mm -hmm. I took out of what, when you shared that one little piece, that just, that's something that rang in my brain that I was really impressed by you. So it's, it's, you know, not, not to circle everything back, but it really has fueled who I am and my business and my mission. If nothing else, it really forces you to be very clear on who you are, what you're meant to do, and just pursue it like hell. And that had to, I'm, I'm sure at the time it was stressful initially with the whole cancer thing, but then it's like, mm -hmm. man, when that stuff starts clicking and firing, you're probably like, dude, whoa, uh, this, this actually feels kind of awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that's exciting for, I think probably most of your clients or other people out there is like when things start clicking, it's pretty exciting. So very cool. Yeah. yeah. But listen, we've been talking a long time. Uh, I appreciate all the time you gave us today. Um, uh, Hang I'll give you a proper goodbye here off the air. But to our listeners, all right, again, I hinted at it before. Check out masterthetalk.com. He's everywhere on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. Um, but again, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't figured out how to master your own talk, you got to go check out his website, see what he's doing. That's Yuri Kruman. A powerful episode, sir. Thanks for giving us your time today. Thank you so much, Scott. To close us out, what is your final thought of the of the episode? If they forget everything else you you said today, like what is the final meaning behind everything you're doing? I would say that the the greatest theme is in a way that everything is negotiable, and that's not in a way that you know you go to a Moroccan bazaar and you haggle over everything. I don't mean that. What I mean is. Whenever you're feeling stuck in your life, whether it's your career, your business, your family, whatever, you need to understand that everything can be changed for the better. And the way to do that is to learn how the masters or even others that have just overcome the same barriers, how they have done it in terms of mindset, in terms of language, in terms of action, what exactly have they done? Then follow their prescription and get through whatever it is because nothing is terminal right? Until you're dead and buried in the ground, nothing's terminal. Everything can be improved. I love that. Powerful message to close out the show. Final words, listeners, nothing is terminal. That means keep keep hustling. So again, that's Yuri Kruman. 
Hank Tug, if you probably could buy off the air to our ladies and gentlemen that are listening in today. That's another powerful Live the Fuel podcast episode. So again, I told you guys every other episode, keep living the fired up epic life. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Hey there, Live the Fuel fans. Quick commercial break. Uh, before we close out the episode, just wanted to give you some extra tips and tricks before we send you on your way. So again, thank you again for listening to the Live the Fuel show. I hope you got a lot out of this recent episode. Uh, more importantly, please subscribe to this show if you haven't subscribed yet. Stay in touch. Get me some feedback. Submit a review on iTunes or Stitcher and get us yet the voice of you, the listener, so we can build this content back into the show and make sure that I'm actually taking you, the listener, into this uh, design and future as Live the Fuel grows. So again, subscribe, submit a review, stay in touch. Heck, on that point, go visit livethefueltank.com. Livethefueltank.com. That will take you to the link to our private Facebook group community where you can join and I can stay more in touch with you going forward outside of the podcast world. All right, last quick little piece here for you guys, some extra value. One, Go to livethefuel.com main page. You'll see on there we have our free resources guide. If you are looking for free content and not having to pay for it, consider getting on my email list. You click on the button, send me my copy, get your Super 7s resources guide. There's over 21 of my favorite online resources that I've built into this little uh, electronic guide for you guys. There's no cost. It'll just be emailed to you just by hopping on my email. Again, just thank you for listening. I want to give you some value. Uh, Second piece of my little extra nuggets of knowledge, if you want to call it this, is go to the resources section on the site. In there, I have three columns, health, business, lifestyle, and two right off the bat that I want to make sure you guys are taking advantage of is number one, eatpillynuts.com and number two, villacapelli.com. Their logos are on the site. You got a big bowl of nuts there and you got a cool big V Power V logo. Both of those, if you use the discount code FUEL, F-U-E-L, you will get 10% off at checkout. So take advantage of that, please, and thank you. And more importantly, there's other companies linked on there. Uh, my nutritional and health alignment with Isogenics since 2010. Uh, the Pure Vitamin Club company for their kick-ass magnesium B12 and an awesome multi-cap. There's some additional business resources on there. Number one, Singularis IT. I go mountain biking and road cycling with the founder. This is a legitimate IT company. I don't care where you are in the world. You can use their services. We're talking about serious white glove level services. I've moved all of my IT solutions over to them, and I outsource them regularly for any future and onboarding clients down the road. And lastly, but not leastly, David Studio. If you have no clue who this guy is, guess what? He is my new audio engineer. This is the guy I've been having making it happen behind the scenes. I found him through the Fiverr world. So if you search for David, D-A-V-I-D, studio on Fiverr, you can track this guy down. But guess what? He's also on the Upwork platform. He's on the People Per Hour platform. You can search for him through his real name. I've never literally physically met this guy or talked to him in person. We have been just met through the online world. But if you search for E-M-I-N, that's, I believe, pronounced Emin, and uh, Fikik, which is F as in Frank, I-K-I-C, you can search for him in Upwork people per hour. Oh, more importantly, just go to Fiverr like I did. But if you are a podcaster or somebody just looking to get quality audio engineering, this is your guy. So again, guys, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks again for listening to Live the Fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for listening to Live the Fuel. Visit us at livethefuel.com. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and more at Live the Fuel. Live the fired up epic life. Hashtag Live the Fuel.